that's all the announcements I have for now, so let's go ahead and jump into this morning's message. Uh, This is the final week of a series that we've been in for four weeks now. We're calling the series Ashes to Fire, and the the main theme of of the series has been for us to discover that the reality of the resurrection is not something that we just celebrate on a single day called Easter, but the resurrection makes a difference and impacts our lives every single week and every single day of our lives. And so we've been looking at different truths from Scripture, tying them back to the resurrection and how the resurrection absolutely has this incredible reality in our life. Now let me walk us through where we've been so far because I think there's been a pretty neat progression uh, that maybe we haven't caught on to unless we hear it in this step, step by step. Uh, the, the first week we, we, we talked about how the reality is that in our lives uh, we fear things, that, that fear has, has a tendency to be on the rise when we face difficulties and challenges and mountains in our lives. And we talked about what does it look like to trust God in those moments when fear is on the rise in our lives? What does it look like for us to place our trust in God? Because we could just say uh, in, the, in the difficulty and in the middle of those challenges, sometimes you'll hear uh, people say, well, trust God and just trust God some more. Well, we began to ask the question, well, what does that really look like? And ultimately we landed that our trust in God is enabled or fueled or empowered by the truth that we need to realize. And that is that God is for us. He loves us deeply. He's rooting for us. He wants us to live in victory. And so if we realize that God is for us, then it enables and fuels our trust for God. The second week, we talked about King Jesus moving into the neighborhood. And we talked about how the king of the universe became flesh so that you and I may have a help in times of trouble. That the God that we serve is not a God who is, who is uh, far away or far removed from our situation, but the God that we serve is one who has become flesh, just like you and I, to live in the same world, to walk in our neighborhoods, to experience what you and I experience, and yet has the resources to enable to rescue us and to help us in those times. And so we serve a king who has moved into the neighborhood. And we called that that, ser- that sermon King Jesus moves in to the neighborhood. And then last week we talked about how Jesus is now exalted, interceding for us and, 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 and the power and the implications of Jesus praying for us as a church. Last week we talked about how Jesus in his, in his prayer to God gives the future of the church, the future of the believers over to God the Father. And we, we made all sorts of practical applications for us as a community together. It was a very sort of communal message where we talked about, uh, and I gave you the good news that I'm ultimately not in charge of this church. In fact, God is and that my role as the pastor and, and the role of the leadership is simply to be obedient. Uh, so we talked about all of that and, and what those mean. Now if you've missed any of these messages and you want to go back and listen to them, they're always available each week uh, on, on, uh, on by, via podcast. So uh, you can go to the iTunes store, just search Emmaus Road and they'll be right there. Uh, so we encourage you to do that. We don't want anyone to miss a message if you, if you can't be here. Now the question then that I want to address today is, 
After Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, are we then just left alone to fend for ourselves? Are we, are we sort of left in this place where we just have to now do the best that we can? And if you are anything like me, if you leave it all up to yourself and you just go about this Christian life just the best that you can, you'll realize pretty quickly that maybe we can't live up to the standard that we're called to in Scripture or the standard that we expect of ourselves. And so the question question is, Jesus has, has lived a great life. He's, he's died for our sins. He's been resurrected to defeat death. Now what? Are we left to just go about our, this life and, and live the best that we possibly can? Or are we actually empowered for the mission that God has given us? That's the question that I want to address today in a message entitled, The Counselor has come. So open your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the Holy Spirit because this uh, is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is the recognition that the Holy Spirit of God has been broken loose into the world and now made available to each and every one of us. We read the story uh, of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and so that's a a more traditional passage to look at uh, today, but today I want to look at John chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 26, and uh, I believe there's going to be some critical truths that come out of this regarding Uh, the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. So you guys ready? All right. This side is ready. Are you guys ready? Yeah, all right. We got a little little people going, woo, yes. Okay, so John chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 15, says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, To be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? But Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he and we will come to him and make our home with him. Uh, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, that are, they're not my own, but they belong to the Father who has sent me. And all of this I have spoken while I am still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the, give as the world gives, for do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now the first thing that comes out is this sort of critical truth that I think we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. 
Because there's, there's a certain verbiage here that is, that is used that I think is critically important. If you'll look at verse 17, it says the spirit of truth. And then it goes on to describe him. And it says the world cannot accept him. That is the spirit of truth. Because it, that is the world, neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives in you and he will be in you. The he in verse 17 is talking about the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit. The first truth that we have to understand if we're going to get a handle on how are we going to go about living in the spirit of God is that we have to begin to understand this one truth. And that is the spirit of God is a he, not an it. Right? A lot of times when, when the Holy Spirit is referenced, we talk about it. That is, that, and what that, that, that sounds like, oh, you're, that's just semantics, it's just language, you're just, you're just trying to be hard on us. But in, in fact, if we understand the Holy Spirit as a person and personal, and He that has huge implications for life in the Spirit. Because a lot of times if we just understand uh, the Holy Spirit as an it, then it becomes an impersonal force by which we can manipulate and and use for our own good. Are you with me? Right? And and probably some of you have heard of that, uh, where, man, if I could just get it, the Holy Spirit, and then do this, then then, then it's sort of using the Spirit as this sort of uh, power to get precisely what I want. But I, I want to... I want to help us to understand that the Spirit of God is not an impersonal force. He is a person. And so I would just encourage you as you, as you go about your, your walk of faith and as you find yourself talking about the Spirit of God, uh, try to catch yourself if you're, if you're calling the Spirit of God an it rather than a he. Because he is deeply personal and in fact a person of the, of the Godhead. Uh, and so I, I want to point that out. Now, uh, this passage, though, seems like it's not primarily about the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, as you, as you read this passage, the, the sort of repetition, the refrain that you hear over and over and over again is this, this thing about, if you love me, you'll obey me. And there's this repetition that's it's restated in different ways. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, it's over and over and over again we hear this, if you love me, then you will obey me. And so the question then becomes... First of all, there's this little bit of the Holy Spirit in this passage. And there's a whole lot of, if you love me, then you'll obey me. Are they they connected at all or, or what's going on, right? I mean, how can we begin to even understand this connection between the Holy Spirit and if you love me, the words of Christ, if you love me, then you will obey me. Uh, Well, I I want to um, kind of frame it this way. And that is that I want to tell you that there are many things in life that I absolutely love. Um, I love P.F. Chang's. Anybody with me? Come on now. (laughs) You guys are going to totally leave me hanging on loving P.F. Chang's? Okay, I love Panda Express. All right, somebody's with me. If you've been to P.F. Chang's, all of a sudden Panda Express seems like you're eating at McDonald's, right? Are you guys with me? I mean, so maybe you're not Asian foods. All right, so I, I get it, I get it. Uh, so I like, I like, uh, I love disc golf. Disc golf life group, help me out. Come on now. See, I love P.F. Chang's, and I love disc golf. And I especially love disc golf when I throw it right. 
and the disc just curves a little bit that way, dodges the tree, fades back in right into the middle of the fairway. That brings so much warmth to my heart. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's all right. I love disc golf when I throw it right, but not so much when I throw it in the water. I also love this church. I love this church. I love to see all of you working together for the kingdom of God. I love seeing all of you connecting with one another, engaging and and experiencing authentic community so that when you go through difficult times, someone is there to help you. And when you go through really joyous times, someone is there to celebrate with you. And I hear story after story after story of both of those spectrums of this is what I was going through and somebody from Emmaus Road was right there. And then this was the, the joy that we experienced and I had a whole group of friends from Emmaus that were there to celebrate with me. I love seeing you guys experience community. And I love when we come together to serve those who are needy and fulfill the mission that God has given to us. I love that. I also, I also love my wife, Amy, and my daughter, Jaden. And I also love God. I also really love Blu-ray discs. They are so crisp and clear, and the audio is amazing, Right? I've been saving money for months to get a Blu-ray player, and I got one a couple weeks ago. Oh, it was good, right? So I love the Blu-ray disc. I love peanut M&Ms. If you want to love your pastor, you can love me with peanut M&Ms. Or if you want to love your pastor, you can uh, love me with a, with a peanut butter uh, concrete from Culver's. And you can watch me grow. <laughs> You guys get the point. There's a lot of things that I love. And my guess is that there are lots of things that you love. But the words of Jesus are very profound here. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. You see, I imagine that in our lives, as all of us have all these kinds of of loves that are operating in our lives, there's there's this one sort of central love that that ought to to take the seat of our heart, the throne of our heart, sort of speak. And, 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 And all the time we're deciding which of the loves in our life are we going to obey or are we going to listen to. Now, some of them are are really kind of sort of profound loves, like a love for a spouse or a daughter or for God. Some of them are just goofy, stupid little loves like P.F. Chang's and and disc golf and Blu-ray discs. But the reality is, is that all of us are all the time making decisions about which love in our life is going to operate itself into our daily living. Are you with me? And what Jesus' words here are, in all the loves of your life, if you love me, then you will choose to obey me. Because sometimes, sometimes there's these battle between the loves, like when I'm hungry, and I I have a sweet tooth, and I I want to eat guilty food. There's this battle between my love for peanut M&Ms and my love for custard, right? And I've got to decide which love am I going to listen to or am I going to obey? I promise you this is going somewhere. Most of you are looking at me like this guy has lost it, right? There's this, there's this operation in our lives of which love are we going to obey? And the words of Jesus are quite profound here. He says, if you love me, like you say you love me, then you will obey me and my commandments.
In other words, if there's all these loves in our life, the seat, the throne of our heart belongs to love for God. And all the other loves in our life are then held accountable to that one love for God. Does that make sense? Right? So my love for my wife and my daughter are perfectly in line with my love for God as I love them as an overflow of my life with God. But let's say there's something that is not so godly and maybe not so silly, out of balance, out of whack. I've got to then hold that. The, the, the words of Jesus here are that it is my responsibility to hold that accountable to my love for God. Because the reality is, is that some of us who, who maybe are, are, are facing um, addictions or challenges or struggles, whatever you want to say, however you want to put it, that thing oftentimes becomes a love, does it not? And we've got to hold that love for that thing that is destructive, and we've got to hold it accountable to our love for God. That is the profound nature of of the words of Jesus and how they operate in our lives because we all have things that we love. That's a good thing. That's a, a healthy thing. What Jesus is calling us to, though, is make sure that your love for God is at the center of your heart so that all the other loves are held accountable to that. And either they're in line and they fit in and I can use my, I can have this love for God that sort of overflows into my, my recreational life. Like I I have not yet been convicted that disc golf is, is ungodly, right? I've, I've not yet been uh, convicted that watching Blu-rays is ungodly unless the content of the Blu-ray tells, comes into accountability with my love for God. Or unless all I ever do with my life is watch Blu-rays, then it becomes out of balance. Do you see what I'm saying? So all these sorts of loves, Jesus says, are always coming into accountability of my one love for God. Now, if I, I believe that if we would just get a handle on this particular truth, this one reality, it would revolutionize our lives uh, as we seek to live out lives for, for the kingdom of God and for Christ. Because we've got to get a handle on how sometimes these loves, our love for God, gets out of balance it comes off the throne of our heart and in comes the love for whatever is our object of addiction or something that's out of balance or out of whack in our lives. That gets the place of God. You know what that's called? Idolatry. And so Jesus' words here seem quite simple and straightforward, but they're actually, in truth, very profound. And I don't know about you, fairly hard to live out. So the question that we asked in the very beginning comes back. Jesus has lived a great life. He's been crucified for our sins. He's resurrected to defeat death. Now we're given these instructions. If you love me, then you'll obey me. And we're we're sort of commissioned to go and make disciples, all of these things. Yet are we simply left to our own devices and our own energy and our own effort to do all of that? Because it can be quite challenging. It can be really hard to align all of these loves on our own. So, this is why we have the reality of Pentecost. The Spirit of God 
the Spirit of Christ released and set free, uh, loosed in the world, so that you and I may have the Spirit in us. These are the words that Jesus, is, Jesus use, uses to comfort his disciples. I am going, but I'm sending another counselor, uh, another uh, paraclete or paracletos. We're going to talk about that word later on. But he says, I'm sending another counselor to you, the spirit of truth. And this spirit of truth will, will guide you and will instruct you, will help you to remember all the things that I have said and all the instructions. And this Counselor will live inside of you. So the great news for you and I, as we seek to live out our faith, is that it's, we are not left, simply left, to do our very best. Or, or we're not left with any source of empowerment to go about the life that Jesus has called us to live. Jesus Christ, the reality of Pentecost, is that he has sent his spirit to live inside of us so that you and I can, in fact, live in victory so that you and I can in fact keep Christ at the seat of our heart that doesn't mean that we'll always do that perfectly that doesn't mean that for a moment uh, there will be times when our seat of our heart is stolen or taken over but it will simply mean that the spirit of God lives inside of you is with you to empower you that ought to be great news to the community of God as we seek to live out our faith for him Now, I don't know, but you guys don't really seem like it's all that good news. So I'll just keep flapping my wings and I'll scream a little louder. The word counselor in verse 26 is the is the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos literally means one who exhorts, uh, one who comforts, one who helps, one who makes appeal on another's behalf. See, there's this sort of loaded Greek word that we don't really know what to do with in English. And so if you go to all these different translations, our English translations, what we've done is we've come up with a whole bunch of words, but an English translation just has to pick one. And so if you go to all these different translations, you'll find this word, parakletos, translated as counselor, comforter, advocate, and many others. And what, what the English is trying to do is capture at least one aspect of this parakletos, this comforter, this counselor, this advocate that Jesus is sending that is the Spirit of God into our lives. He's, giving a, he's blessing us so that the Spirit can live inside of us. And so what we don't get in English is the, the Greek sort of nuance that when we say parakletos, we mean all of these things. Does that make sense? We mean absolutely all of these things. So the Holy Spirit is not just a counselor or just an advocate or just one who comforts in times of trouble or just one who guides in times of uncertainty or just one who who reveals truth when, when, when confusion is there. The Holy Spirit, the parakletos, is there living inside of us to offer all of these things to us. And that's the good news of Acts chapter 2. That's the good news of uh, Pentecost. And so the Greek picks up on all these nuanced meanings much better than we get in English. We have a helper, an advocate, um, a counselor. The question then becomes, though, if, if the Holy Spirit is this person and not this impersonal force then how do I go about actually having the Holy Spirit comfort me? 
or give me counsel, right? I mean, because sometimes that's where we live. We can, we can come up here, we can proclaim great truth, we can live encouraged, and then, and then Monday afternoon happens, and, and, and we're like, man, I wish I knew how to actually appropriate this truth. I wish I knew how to actually live in this truth. And, and I have found that life in the Spirit is sort of this relationship. Right? I mean, this is why it's critically important for us to understand the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. Because when it comes to living with an impersonal force, it can be very difficult. Right? And so oftentimes when, we, when we're bumping up against how do I actually uh, in, live in the empowerment of the Spirit, we're often thinking about it, about the Spirit as an it and not, an he, and not a he. And so I would argue that this sort of dynamic of living in the power of the Spirit is coming to the realization that we're living in relationship with the Spirit of Christ. This is what we talk about to our, to our little kids, and we ask them, and we say to them, ask Jesus in your heart. And, and of course, kids are very concrete, and so they think about a, a, a fleshed Jesus living in their heart, and they're like, what? <laughs> But you and I can get, can get the metaphor that we're inviting the Spirit of Christ into our lives to empower us, to counsel us, to guide us, to encourage us, to convict us. For those times when our, the, the throne of our heart is given over to something else, when we're in relationship and listening to the Spirit, He's the one that comes in and says, Oh, I'm not where I need to be. And so we ask forgiveness, we realign our lives. So I want to, so this, this idea of the Holy Spirit as a person is critically important. And, and I would say that it comes down to this. It comes down to the whisper. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will shout. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will flash a neon sign in your life and say, go this way, do this. But most of the time, it's a whisper. And the reality is, is that there are all kinds of messages being whispered into our lives. Many times, they are messages and lies from the enemy. And they're, they're, they're sort of whispering in our ears. Uh, these sort of whispers, maybe you've experienced them. Whispers that say, you're no good. And you're not worth it. Whispers that say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Maybe you've heard. Maybe those of you that are, are um, really seeking and feel called by God to do something great, and, and you just feel like God has, has sort of set you aside to do incredible work for his kingdom. Maybe you've, you, maybe you've heard this whisper in your life. Did God really call you to do that? Because you're, you're not good enough. Or look where you came from. Surely God doesn't want you to do that. Or for those of you that are struggling with, with a sin or an addiction or, or something you just can't seem to overcome in your life, maybe you've heard the whisper, you're not hurting anyone but yourself. Right? These are all sort of whispers that come into our life. 
But life in the Spirit, I would argue, is tuning your ear to the frequency of the whispers of the Spirit. The whispers of the Spirit that say, you can overcome this. The whispers of the Spirit that say, you are loved. You are valuable simply because you are you. Whispers that say, you may feel like a nobody, but I have set you aside for incredible plans in my kingdom. And here's what I'm calling you to do. Now go forth and do it in courage and obedience. And so I, I really, and this feels much more like a relationship, doesn't it? Than just simply taking this impersonal force and applying it to our lives to get what we want. That's why this critical truth of, of God the Holy Spirit being a person is so critical in our lives. And so I would encourage us to tune our ears, listen closely to the messages of the Spirit. And you do this through all sorts of ways. They're, they're, they're probably obvious answers, but involving yourself in a community, regularly reading God's Word are all ways to sort of tune your ear to the frequency of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just all these sort of um, spiritual disciplines that, that you feel like, oh, maybe I, I need to be doing these and I'm not, uh, I would encourage you to, to discipline yourself to do those so that every time you do that, you may, listen, you may, you may read your Bible and you may feel like, wow, numbers, struggling, not very inspirational, you know? And, but that's what was on my reading plan today. Bummer. You may feel like that. But I promise you, your ear is being tuned to the Spirit. You may read numbers and feel like it is the most uninspirational thing in the world that morning. And then later that afternoon, you'll hear the Spirit talk clearer than you've ever heard before. Right? So you don't have to have this sort of profound uh, time in Scripture for your ear to be tuned. If you're there soaking yourself in the Word of God, regardless of how inspirational it is at the moment, your ear is being tuned to the Spirit. And so I would encourage you to, to really get into those disciplines. Now, if you don't regularly have the discipline of, of um, reading your Bible and praying, don't try to jump up to the, to the huge disciplines, right? I mean, if you're not regularly... I, I once heard someone say, not that this was so good and so smart. They said, listen, if you're not regularly praying and reading your Bible, don't mess with trying to fast. Because your, your heart is not in a place where you can receive the spiritual nourishment of the fast. And so get these sort of basic disciplines down first. Tune your ear to the Spirit so that when you fast, your ear is tuned. Does that make sense? And so I, I really think that this, this relational concept of listening to the whisper of the Spirit is absolutely key to learning how to live life in the Spirit and live victoriously in this Christian life. So... I hope that this, is, this has been helpful. I could, I could say more and I could try to extend it, but I, I feel like the, the core of the message is there. And I, I just want to, to leave you guys with this, this truth and this reality of tuning your, whisper, tuning your ear to the whisper of the Holy Spirit who is not an impersonal force, but the very person of God who has been given to us through the reality of Pentecost. Let's pray together.